Well, as I said before, we've been studying law and gospel all week. And I think it's been good so far. Only two of them have fallen asleep while we've been studying. So I think that's, that's pretty par for the course. I had about two or three that fell asleep in my Spanish classes. So, Except I brought them pillows. I didn't bring a pillow for, for a couple here. Law and gospel is not something that should be strange to us. Lutherans talk about law and gospel a lot. We differentiate between the law and the gospel in our teaching, in our preaching, in our witnessing, and even when we read scripture. Knowing the difference between the two, law and gospel, is knowing the key to salvation Understanding the nature of our faith and understanding the nature of God's grace toward us. And so I thought this would be a good time that we sort of review, or maybe it may be new to you to think of how God's word functions on our hearts as law and as gospel. Basically, scriptures spell out the fact that the law shows us our sin. It judges us by God's standard. And that's why Amos was given the plumb line, the construction term to mean the building's not going to fall over, right? that it's built correctly, and that Jeroboam and Amaziah didn't measure up. So the law judges us by God's standard. The law is everything that we do in our earthly life. The law reminds us that we are physical, we are mortal. Death will come as punishment. It encompasses how we live. We have the civil law, which keeps us in line. So law is not anything that is foreign to us. In fact, as Americans, we kind of rebel against the law and want our independence. At least that's the way it was against the British. It offers us only salvation if we keep the law perfectly. The righteous man in and of himself keeps God's standards perfectly and is declared righteous by earning it if that were possible, if we were able to keep all of God's commands and the number one hymn above above all other gods, fear, love, and trust in God only. But we can't do that. And we know that to be true because whenever we seek revenge, Whenever we try to justify the wrong that we're doing, we're not calling God to our defense, but taking into our own selves to make things right and defend our own selves as if we were God. So that's a little taste of the law. The gospel, on the other hand, we want that. Come on, bring on the gospel. It is everything that God does for us. We have no part in it. The gospel is proclaimed to us. It comes from without 
outside of us. The verses that we use, the common ones in Ephesians, you are saved by grace through faith and not of your works lest any man can boast. And we see that it is not our doing for the forgiveness of sins in order to achieve eternal life. Jesus himself says, nobody comes to the Father but by me. And then all of us in Sunday school may have learned John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. We're on the receiving end of the gospel, and not the judgment receiving end. We're on the receiving end of God's love. But there is this breach between God and ourself, between law and gospel. Law being us, being physical flesh, being everything that we do. And, and the story happens, of course, we know way back with Adam and Eve. They pushed God aside. God takes them out of the garden. He says, you may not come back in. And so there we are, out of the garden, no longer wanting to be and live under God's grace, no longer wanting to live under his love, but to be our own judge, our own God. And we forget sometimes that even though we may say, I've done nothing wrong, even though people in the world act as if they've done nothing wrong, we are human beings. We are descendants of the first creation. We share along with them the ignorance and the inability to go back to the garden. We cannot go back in the presence of God as his people under our own power. Because we share the sin of Adam and Eve, not in just in the things that we do, but in our being who we are. Many times we think of the law as just the Ten Commandments or something that God demands on us. And we forget to include in that that it's just not when we read the Ten Commandments, or when we know what God wants and we don't do it, we kind of tend to forget that in our very nature, as we say in our confession sometimes on Sunday, we are by nature sinful and unclean. That means in our thinking, in our breathing, in our being, we can do nothing else but be unclean. Yeah, there's those moments when we're good and we might buy flowers for our wife or on the occasion we might give food to our children <laughs> and show our goodness towards them. And then we're like, oh yeah, look at me, I'm great because of our own self-righteousness. But we don't smooth over God's wrath with a few works 
that please him the way we might deceive a parent and say, hey, mom, I cleaned my room. Can I have dessert now? Can I have something good to eat now that I've obeyed you? Look how good I am. It goes deeper than that. It goes so deep that we don't realize, and when I say we, I include Christians and non-Christians, that that DNA that has separated us and places us under the law makes us always looking for an answer. An answer to things that bother us deep down inside, like fear and guilt and shame and brokenness. See, we don't have to be told to feel guilty. We don't have to be told to be afraid. We don't have to be told to know that something is wrong deep down inside. We don't have to be told that something's just not right with me or that I don't feel complete because what's missing is God and we can't find him because he has to come to us. And so everybody in the world searches after something or does something in some way that would appease that feeling of guilt, that will take that feeling of shame away, that would give them acceptance and love. And whatever that might be, that is where faith will be placed. And a false sense of salvation or peace, at least for the moment. But we will never find it because we are completely separated from God. Thankfully, however, God has obligated himself to us. Not only are we obligated to him because we're his creatures, God has obligated himself to us because we are his creation. And whereas he must punish that which is unrighteous, he still searches us out, and the way he searches us out is by breaking into our reality. And the way he breaks into our reality is through his word. And we have the word of the prophets in the Old Testament, and the word of Moses, and the word on Sinai, and the Ten Commandments, and ultimately, the word made flesh, who dwelt among us. The inbreaking. If we looked at him, he might have just looked like James. God left paradise. God left gospel and became law, became cursed for us. And his word was then preached to us the same way that it came to Amos and John the Baptist. Only he can offer life. Only he can offer forgiveness. He is what we have been looking for. And there's three ways that we can react to when the law has this effect on us and we're confronted with God's word. The first way is what we see in Amos and in the gospel for today. Amos is told to be the plumb line to see if Israel is righteous or if they're going to fall 
over. You see, God said he will destroy all the temples in the high places. Those are the pagan temples. He will destroy all those because they are not the true God. And Messiah gets word. Guess what, Jeroboam? Amos is coming to town. And he's going to destroy your kingdom with God's word. What does Jeroboam or does Amaziah say? Leave. Earn your bread somewhere else. We don't want to hear your message. Go away. This is the king's palace. This is the temple. We don't want to hear that. Because it conflicts with what we or in this case, Amaziah and Jeroboam felt about themselves. They're above God. But why, does they, why do they send him away? Same thing happens with Herodias, the wife of Herod. Right? Why does she want John the Baptist's head? Because he was saying, this is wrong. You shouldn't have your brother's wife. This is wrong. Let's get rid of John. Why? Because they knew that John and Amos were right. The word of God being living and active penetrates the heart of everyone. And judges. And the first way that we can falsely overcome it is to say, not me, I want nothing to do with it. So prophet Amos is sent away. So John the Baptist is sent away. And things continue. So things aren't too much different in our world today, are they? Except for the fact that in our world today, God does not exist. At least in the time of Amos and John the Baptist, they were worshiping false gods. Or they had and they knew an idea of God and sought after that as something outside themselves. So that the prophets and John the Baptist could say, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is judged by God. What you're doing is not living the way that you should and you should repent and turn to God. See how far that gets you today. Because there is no God. So who can condemn me? I'm my own judge. I'm my own God. And so we can't really talk about actions in the world today. We have to talk about being that DNA. And we have to wait. Because now, instead of feeling repentance, instead of feeling and saying this is what God does not want, there is no morality. It's slipping away. Instead, if the word of God is heard, makes me feel bad. Because it's taking away what I want to be. We're plagued on the television with commercials, messages that say you can be all that you want to be. The truth is in you. You can solve your problem. You can do it. You have the potential. Let no one say you can't. 
Need it, want it, got it. You are the center of all truth and being. Nothing else. And so now, today, we have to wait until people experience their brokenness. Until people experience the fact that they cannot trust in themselves and believe in themselves, that they have lost all hope in themselves. Sinful actions are still there, but it's not going to get us anywhere. We have to wait until people are hopeless before we talk about hope in Christ in a world that has abandoned the notion of God. Still, there's two other ways when God's word confronts us. These are particular for Christians. One is the temptation for us here today, and I'll talk specifically about us, is to say whenever we have done something contrary to what God wants, oh, I've messed up. Oh, my bad. Oh, the Lord will forgive that because I'm saved and he'll forgive me. So, oh, I slipped up. Oh, I stumbled. Oh, I tripped. My sin isn't that bad. We feel bad about our sins. But do we repent of our sins? The New Testament makes a distinction. One word for feeling bad is in the Greek, metamelo. It means nothing more than just feeling bad. Sort of like I'm fine because I stole $1,000, but Linda finds out, and so, wow, I feel bad. <laughs> Why? Probably because Linda find out. Right? Right? But the word for repentance is metanoia, which means a change of noose, mind, pneumatic, Find the mind, a change of mind. In other words, I don't want to walk in this direction anymore. Take me from it so that I don't continue doing what I'm doing. It's not just feeling bad. It's the desire to never do again. And that's what the law can do to us. And that is what even the Christian should feel and say when they, are when they are repenting for something that they've done. Just not feeling bad, but the desire to not do it again. That's our struggle. Living in the love of Christ as forgiven people, we now have to train ourselves, Paul says, as the athlete who runs the race with the goal in mind. Right? We have to Practice. We have to leave things behind that we know are in conflict with God's word. Not in order to receive God's forgiveness, but in order to live as God's children in the grace that he has given us in the forgiveness. The third way when we encounter God's word is a pretty bad way. Luther battled with it with some people who were following him. And we encountered this on the mission field with one example as well. And I'm sure that probably you have felt at some point in your life when God has, through his word, shown you that you have sinned in a particular way. 
That you're not as good as you thought that you were. And maybe instead of relying on God's forgiveness, you have relied on your own self-righteousness saying, yeah, God is pleased with me. I'm doing a good thing. And then all of a sudden you're hit with, oh my gosh, I did that bad thing. You can't forgive yourself. Particular instance on the mission field, as we're all God's children, a couple got a divorce, a missionary did, years ago, because his wife had an amorous relationship with someone else. She completely shut out the church, not because, not because she didn't believe and love the people who were there, but because she could not believe that she did that. She could not believe that she would have sinned being God's child. And she never forgave herself. And therefore never accepted the forgiveness that God had for her. It's dangerous because it leads to despair if we think that we are on the right path and we're following and everything's going well and we confront we are confronted with the fact that we too me too pastor greg klotz is sinful and falls under god's judgment i don't deserve to be a pastor i don't deserve to be a teacher how can god speak through me if i am like this But God says in each of these cases, Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am your righteousness. I have died and rose for the forgiveness of your sins. And it is God's spirit that works through us, that preaches through me, that works through your words as testimony in the world, not our own righteousness. We live under the gospel, under forgiveness with his word. We don't have to impress God with our behavior. That's law. We now have new life in Christ. And he offers us new life through his body and blood that he says, For you given, for you I died and rose from the dead. And so for each of us today, when we repent and when we recognize that we have sinned, we can approach the throne of grace through Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, the renewal and strength that he has accepted us as his children, and he will always be with us in our lives. And we will encounter time and time again how we have sinned, how we have grieved him, but there will always be grace. There will always be forgiveness. There will always be his love. In Jesus' name, amen.